are listening to the Ontario Council for International Cooperation's Tapestry 2030 podcast series, focused on the future of international cooperation and global solidarity and the partnerships needed for gender-transformative, sustainable development. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Duncan, and I'm currently a member of the Primates World Relief and Development Fund Youth Council. Joining you today from the unceded traditional territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm joined today by my youth council colleague, Robin, who is calling in from the unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe peoples in Ottawa, Ontario. Thank you for being with us. So today we are joined by PWRDF partners Hibinik, who are based in Bangladesh, Executive Director Frida and two youth, Rabiul Islam, who works on the Bamboo Binding Project, and Ajmira Khatun, who works on seed keeping. Welcome to our podcast. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us. And I'm, I'm very happy to join today in this uh, podcast with my two colleagues, uh, Rabiul and Ajmira. what is going on now and which is not at present we are seeing that it is not reaching people and it is not happening as people want it to be so that's why we wanted to form a policy advocacy organization and then by 87 there was a big flood in Tangile where Dobiul is based so we were faced with the situation that we had to talk to the farmers so then we came to the issues of agriculture, but at that time they were facing the hardship due to modern agriculture as well, not only due to natural calamities. So we started working with the farmers, talked to them how to get over not only the problems of flood and loss of crops, but also how to get out of the chemical-based agriculture, which is causing so much um, uh, fertility loss to the soil and a lot of diseases are happening and also productivity is not as much as it used to be before. So we form a, a group of small-scale farmers. It is based on ecological principles. So, and we call it Naya Krishi Andolon. In English, it means new agricultural movement. So we are actually super modern agriculture. We are not we are not chemical based agriculture, but we are super modern in terms of knowledge of farmers, in terms of 
livelihood of the people and also in terms of um, what people want to have. Thank you for explaining that. You kind of started going into it a little bit, but could you talk a li- in a little bit more detail about what exactly makes Ubinig different than other development or agriculture organizations? The difference is Ubinig is not like, you know, non-governmental organizations called NGOs. We are not like that. We are not a service delivery organization to people. We don't take a development model or some ways of um, working and that is imposed on from top and then we go to the poor uh, uh, they go to the poor people and then uh, work with them we don't do that we start working with the farmers with the communities and we try to get their understanding of development and what they want and we stand by with them actually whatever is done is done by the people themselves we go to the people to work with them and you know support them in terms of not by giving money or any inputs but facilitate their development our support is not by money or microcredit we don't give any microcredit or any other input support we facilitate the development program so that is a big difference and also our uh, work it continues even after it is over so we talk about the sustainability with the communities and uh, our work is mostly with the marginalized communities with mostly with women and the you know farmers and traditional birth attendants and all kinds of people and with the young people as well that's great thank you it sounds like solidarity and empowerment and even that localization piece are really important to the work that you do. And um, as youth council, we're happy to hear that the young adults youth piece is, is integral as well, of course. So right now, there are three projects that PWRDF partners with Ubinig, and they're all so important in sustainability, climate mitigation, adaptation, and community resilience. Um, we'll start with the SEED project, which is one of those partnerships. Um, Ajmira, could you please share a little bit about your work in this field? Um, I'm, uh, she works with uh, uh, Naikishi farmers in the village and she, how the farmers are collecting the seeds and preserving the seeds and also the way farmers are also exchanging among themselves. Um, we have about 112,000 farmers who are working on the seed preservation works and um, they, after meeting their own needs of seed, they can exchange with the seed hut that is built in the villages, cluster of villages. And there is a community seed well center, our Ubinik center, where all the seeds are collected. Um, uh, the system is every Ubinik center in the districts have um, a seed well community seed well center where community seeds are preserved. But these are supported by a network of seed huts in the cluster of villages 
but the most important thing that we emphasize is that farmers must have the seeds in their own collection and the seed um, herds and seed well center is actually managed by a committee of specialized seed women and they are they are a group of women who have the knowledge about seeds and they every committee they have uh, about 12 to 15 members who are specialized in different uh, kinds of seeds so that they can preserve it in the community seed well center we have already 2500 variety of local rice no so the, all these farmers have collected there are 730 kinds of vegetable seeds so these are already preserved in the uh, seed well centers Uh, so these uh, seeds are collected by the farmers uh, according to their own needs and according to different seasons they would you know we have like six different season and three major seasons of rice so we have many different uh, seasons so farmers are collecting the seeds according to different seasons according to different needs and um, they according to the needs of their neighbor farmers as well the important thing is that through these 112000 farmers who are collecting seeds and preserving it over 500000 families are benefited and they are uh, getting their seeds independent of the companies they don't have to go to the market to get the seeds and so uh, they are not dependent on cash availability of money because these are available to exchange so they are exchanging among themselves And the seed preservation is actually passed on from the um, grandmother to mothers and to aunties from aunties to the young women so young women are getting interested in seed preservation and they are learning from their older people and also they are preserving it the way these seeds are expanding the number is increasing is because they are exchanging among themselves and also from the seed well center when they take like 1 kilo of uh, seeds they after harvesting of the crop they return 2 kilos so in that way we can uh, go to more farmers and then it is a, it has a multiplier effect uh, through exchange and also through preservation at different levels So, Admira was saying that through um, the seed keeping project, uh, the benefits were like we could regenerate a lots, lots of seeds that were lost uh, or we call it disappeared seeds so they could regenerate those seeds through the seed keeping project 
and um, the soil fertility is increasing because with the cultivation of the local variety seeds we do not need uh, any chemical fertilizer or pesticide so though no chemical is used and also the most important thing is the deep tubers which are used for uh, irrigation of the groundwater has been stopped in the Nayakishi villages. So it helps the soil as well and also no arsenic contamination. Another good thing is the mixed crop cultivation. So in one simple single plot, they are able to cultivate many uh, crops at a time so that they can economically benefit and it is um, it helps each other to soil repair you know pest repellent and also soil nutrients so from the same field they can do everything they give food to the soil they can also eat from the soil so and also they are preserving seeds that are climate resilient like time stress resilient seeds like flood tolerance seeds the drought tolerance seeds so they are doing it and most importantly women's empowerment is happening because women are now going from village to village they are meeting in their compounds and sitting together discussing about the seats and this whole Nayakishi movement is now led by women so women's decision making has increased in agriculture that's great. Thank you, Ajmira, for explaining. I have a question. How many Ubinig centers are there and how many seed huts are there? So how many communities or villages are you serving with this? Okay. Um, we have four big community seed wealth centers and uh, 12 seed huts and we are covering about 6,700 villages. That's wonderful. That's good to know. Thank you. I think we're curious about um, where this method are originated. So the women leading the communities and the seed keeping and sharing the seeds among other farmers and not having like a monetary transaction happening. Like where did that originate from? Yeah, it is an important question to discuss today because without that we will not understand what uh, has gone wrong, you know. So uh, since 1970s, actually a little bit before that, World Bank, you know, institutions like World Bank, they when they come up with their big money, they also propose that we have to follow Green Revolution, uh, which is basically a chemical-based ag agriculture with pesticides, chemical fertilizer, high-yielding variety seeds, and also irrigation technology through extraction of groundwater. So this was given as a prescription and our government had to follow it. So the farmers were only supported if they followed modern agriculture and the traditional agriculture was totally undermined. But our farmers, you know, let me give you a little bit of statistics is that in Bangladesh is a country of small farmers like 
80% of the farming households own less than 1 hectare land and there is only like less than 5% who have over 7 hectares. It is completely opposite to what you have in Canada. So these are small farmers but they are very good because they have a fertile land and they can cultivate all the year round and they know which crops have to be grown. But the chemical agriculture reduced the number of uh, rice varieties to be grown. So we, we have three seasons of rice and they reduced it to two seasons. And then, you know, through uh, like in 80s, they started promoting hybrid seeds. And these seeds were promoted by pesticide companies. They gave it as a package that you have to take this seed, along with it you take these pesticides and then you can grow them well. So the pesticide companies through the dealers, as Ajmira was saying that Nayakishi farmers are independent and have, don't have to depend on the dealers because this is a serious issue for the farmers. They need cash money and if they don't have the cash money, they have to borrow from the money lenders or microcredit is there to give them the money to, to give it to the dealers. So this is a very, very serious issue for the farmers. But by the end of 2000, you know, we found that more than 67% of the farmers started losing land who could not afford to bear the increasing cost of the chemical inputs. So they were migrating to the cities as rickshaw puller and also their daughters and children were going to the ready-made garment factories as factory workers or overseas. So this was a total degeneration of agriculture. So this is, uh, so we call, we don't call it green revolution anymore. It is gray revolution. Thank you so much, Frida, for sharing a little bit about the origins of this really important and vital project. And this ties well into a bit of a discussion here about um, the term localization, which has been a key focus of this podcast series with the Ontario Council for International Cooperation. And it relates to bringing these you know, big concepts of sustainability and environmental protection down to a more local level and making an impact on a local scale. So I'm wondering if you could share the importance of working with local communities and bringing local perspectives into your work and maybe how Ubinig approaches doing so. We work from the uh, you know grassroots and it's like Janugoshti um, or Shamaj. You know, we, we talk about that the Shamaj and the communities uh, that are the important uh, part and the, it has to be localized and the, uh, all the technology and the knowledge has to be localized and uh, with connection, but it is not disconnected from outside. It is localized, but not disconnected from outside. So um, it's called GAN in, in Bangla. So GAN includes both practices and knowledge and they are, you know, day-to-day -day practices. So, um, and this is expressed through songs in, in our communities. So because we are living in a oral culture, many of our farmers cannot read or write. What they do, they immediately compose a song. And you know, through the song, 
and in fact one of our farmers have composed uh, almost 600 songs on noyakishi about different practices so if you ask him to sing a song you will get a lecture on a on noyakishi so this is uh, so this is kind of localized skills localized uh, knowledge localized practices that is also uh, you know um, spread to more and more people and i think it's much better than in writing and also much better than books i think songs are very powerful okay so the communities are also getting involved in the seed Uh, preservation they are trying to identify not only the natural causes but also other like um, through infrastructure building the water logging happens and if the water logging happens they their crop is lost and as well as seeds are lost so now the communities are understanding that we have to be active and because they are becoming uh, organized together now they are trying to build small culverts to get the water out and through they are doing it through the mediation of the local representatives of the local government bodies so this integration is happening on their own through community involvement so even if obinig is not there they will still do it and that is the success of the project in all these things you know uh, we are facing new realities of climate change we are facing new realities of introduction of uh, harmful seeds and harmful technologies like genetically modified uh, organisms so the farmers need to have those information you know the farmers will automatically not know that some seed is coming that is a genetically modified seed so ubini facilitates to share the information with the communities and we have found that in the villages where we could tell them that this is what is called genetically modified seed this is hybrid seed and they can now decide on their own whether they want it or not so they 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 can so this hubinix role is important in at that level also that we have to share the knowledge like we are getting from international level from many other ecological groups and other people and then we, our role is to share it with the communities and the farmers so that they are well informed to take their own decision amazing thank you farida uh, just to wrap up here on behalf of myself and robin and the rest of the members of our youth council at pwrdf I'd like to say thank you to yourself Rita and to Ajmira and Rabiul for joining us today on this podcast and sharing some of the amazing work that Ubenig is doing uh in securing livelihoods and promoting environmental and ecological resilience in Bangladesh. Uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say this work is fantastic and uh very very inspiring. So thank you very much uh for joining us today again. Thank you uh, you know for and I hope you could listen to our birds as well when we were talking and <laughs> yeah so you know thank you very much for doing this we are very happy to share our experiences and our colleagues were also very happy to be part of it and thank you for doing it so so uh, Robin and Duncan thank you very much
Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to catch our next episode as we continue to share other stories from our OCIC membership community. The Ontario Council for International Cooperation is an expanding community of members working for global social justice, human dignity, and participation for all. Join us. Visit ocic.on.ca to learn more.